Sports fans, Catholic radio listeners, Steve Ferguson, along with our co-host Brad Moore, and you're listening to Two Guys in the Conversation on 88.1 Catholic Radio. Brad, as always, uh, first of all, great to see you again, and uh, wish you a happy new year. This is going to be the end of 2019 show. Yeah. And well, uh, hard to believe we've done, uh, this will be our 19th show we've done. Wow. It's been, wow. been a lot of fun. Well, there's a little lull in sports right now. Yeah. You know, over the Christmas break, yeah. high school's taking a little break, uh, college is taking a few days off. So, you know, we get to kind of catch up on some of the exciting things the last couple weeks and uh, get to talk about uh, the whole new year yeah, and exactly. things heat up in basketball, especially. Are coming. Hey, I want to talk to you a little bit later in the show about the mid break, the break, the winter break, uh, the, the Christmas break when you're a high school college or high school coach and what you do with that break, what, what, what your thought process is there. And, and I, I, I'm going to give you what I think from an outsider. I want you to tell me what you what you guys really do is a, from an insider standpoint. Um, but I think we need to talk about, and we've talked Siouxland sports um, a lot, college and high school. We've got to really recap the Morningside uh, run uh, football-wise. We started off talking, can, can Morningside defense do it? Their offense, you know, we were questioning that. Obviously, the offense has come through. And uh, I just got back from being down at Ruston, Louisiana, and Grambling, Louisiana for that national championship game. Yeah, what a great game. So I listened. Yeah, I watched the game on the computer. I was in California, but I, I dialed in, and it was on ESPN3. And uh, what a great Morningside crowd and a loud crowd, too. Yes. It, uh, it's pretty impressive. To see. That's not an easy place to get to. Uh, Ruston and a lot of people drove and, and you could fly into Shreveport or Monroe and but yeah it was a great crowd we had a lot of fun uh, Friday night at downtown pep rally and met a lot of locals and Ruston is the home of Louisiana Tech uh, who played in the Independence Bowl today over in Shreveport only 45 miles away against Miami yeah so so they played at Grambling Stadium is that right yes okay and the reason that uh, and we learned a little bit about, like, why would we be going to, you know, instead of, like, Daytona Beach or something like that. Well, the Eddie Robinson Foundation really made an effort to try to get that NEI championship to Grambling. And there's a long history of African-American athletes uh, and, and influencing uh, very early in the NEI. And I didn't know that. So yeah. there's a lot of history there. Uh, the players talked about uh, Eddie Robinson's family being in all their activities and were very proactive and it was really a cool experience. Yeah, I think that uh, I think they did a little story. I, I I can't remember if I saw it on there later, but it seems to me like NEIA was accepting African American athletes yeah, prior to NCAA. And female athletes. There were some of the they started creating some of the championships for female uh, athletics sooner than NCAA. So there's a really interesting history with the NAIA. Yeah, I bet the the city embraces it, kind of like yeah. Sioux City embraces yeah. the volleyball tournament, yes. the basketball tournament here. We had a blast. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Grambling is a very impressive place. The, the stadium's kind of built down into a bowl, and and uh, it was really, really cool field and a great, great place to, to play a game. You know, uh, Marion, uh, out of India, Indianapolis, is an NEI school of 6,000 students. They have a medical school um, as an NEI school there, and I learned a lot about them. Obviously, they have a unique recruiting opportunity being right in a, in a big city. Yeah. Yeah, and um, close to Chicago, yeah. Indianapolis. They have two guys in the NFL right now off their their last few teams: a tight end with the Vikings, and a wide receiver with uh, New Orleans. So yeah. uh, they're the real deal. Yeah, but uh, what a game! And um, you know, Morningside, uh, as we talked about, Brad, what was the what was the game plan that you had thought and, and talked about last week? Was shutting down the run, uh, you know, salary their uh, their 
the offensive, or excuse me, the player of the year by the press in NAIA, which Morningside coaches were not happy about. Yeah. Um, and uh, their goal is to shut him down. They did that. And they're leading, could have been up 21 nothing at half, but uh, there's a long throw. There's arguably a push off. And a big receiver brought it in, and it's 21-7 and a half. But you just had the feeling that that's how Louisiana Tech, or not Louisiana Tech, that's how uh, uh, Marion. Marion would get back yeah. in the game, and that's exactly what Yeah, so Marion comes in with the number one rushing uh, defense, right? And and they were known for rushing the ball, uh, had the player of the year. And Morningside kind of shut that down, other than one long run by Salary, uh, pretty much kept him in check. And in the second half, they were forced to go to the air. And w what an athlete, uh, Johnny William. Wow, big time. Yeah, number four, great athlete. Well, but he, he created a mismatch, and and it was very interesting. Um, if you listen to the game a little bit, they talked a lot about that they were lining up a linebacker from Morningside, but in reality, it was actually safeties and cornerbacks that that were lining up on him. And, they were, and, 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 and so it was a little bit misleading as to what the defense was going on, but that guy – uh, was open all day long. And then all of a sudden, their quarterback, Ethan Darter, who was not known for accuracy, and who he reminded me a lot of was Nate Stanley. Big guy, did not get sacked, had a rocket for an arm, but not yeah. real accurate. And I'll tell you what, when the game was on the line, he made He, he was good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so they end up, you know, clawing back into the game and making a game of it through the air, which was a little unusual, but, they, you know, that – that uh, receiver, 10 catches, 161 yards, four touchdowns. He, was on, he, was he kept him in it. Yeah, and so the, the interesting thing about the game was that it was, it was two championship caliber teams. You know, one team would score, and then there would be an answer. And it was just, it was exciting, and I, I didn't set the whole game. It was just really, really fun. And, uh, but what a way for those uh, Morningside <laughs> seniors to, to, uh, to leave the field. Um, you know, I was in the uh, lobby of the, of the hotel, Coach Ryan and Coach Jacobson and, and all the parents and just the, the, the real neat, you start to hear these neat things about uh, their season. And these guys lost three games total, yeah. 29 straight victories, and arguably has been called the greatest senior class in the history of Morningside, the 16 seniors that are leaving that program. Yeah, yeah. What an incredible run. And, and I love that they call the uh, championship Chip Trophy, the Tom Osborne Trophy. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So that's... Two, two in a row, back-to-back, -back, yeah. uh, impressive accomplishment. Here's what I observed. I got a chance to be around it a little bit this year, and uh, I observed something, Brad. And you've been around it. I've been around it as a parent. You've been around it as a coach. Now i got to see it as, as a fan. Championship culture. And championship culture means everybody's on one page winning. So you're you're you've got all these great players from Morningside and all these parents that I got a chance to meet, you know, and, and they're all fantastic. And you never really heard much about the individuals. It wasn't about, oh wow, this kid's my kid's this, my kid you didn't hear that. Yeah. You just didn't hear that. And think about your great teams that you're they're around, the championship teams. Yeah. Obviously we know who the great players are, who makes who has certain stats and all that. But in, in a championship culture, Everybody just talks about winning. Everybody talks about the team. Team and, and winning. And they're not individuals. And there's a bunch of talented kids there. And yeah. a bunch of, you know, these these are alpha, alpha kids, you alpha know, parents. Uh, again, if you look at the great championship programs, Morningside included at, at any program, uh, you know, it revolves around consistency. Mm -hmm. Consistency in the program, consistency in the coaches, consistency in the administration. And Morningside's had all that. I've learned a lot about Coach Ryan this year and the stories that I've heard the players talk and and uh, 
example that he sets for consistency. And I heard a really cool um, thing about Morningside. Uh, they apparently had a, an event at, a, at the bowling alley. I think it was our, our friend uh, Brian Atchison. But this was not from Brian. It was somebody else. And they said that was really cool about Morningside football. So when they got done, all their shoes were put away. Yeah. All the chairs were put away. Everything was cl- uh, cleaned up. And uh, that's the kind of program that he's got there. It's, it's a little bit more than football. And I started to learn a little bit about that. And I think that's why they're so incredibly successful. Yeah, great culture. bought in. And uh, they got it going on there, so it'll be uh, it'll be fun to see now next year if they can uh, come back and reload. Which how can you argue with they're not going to? They've got a lot of people coming back. Yeah, you know a lot of their skilled players. I was really impressed by Boels. Oh, what a you great know I hadn't seen him play a lot, but Jeez. that little quick screen that they kept throwing it, it's a hard it's a, uh-huh. it's hard to block. Yeah, I mean it's hard to block for him. Yeah, it's hard to throw it out there where he can yeah. catch it. And, and the timing and the blocking um, I'm so is glad impressive. you mentioned that. He had an incredible game. He fielded some punts that were critical. He made the little run that sealed the game, which was a little uh, kind of shovel pass. Yeah, for the touchdown. And guess who recovered the onside kick to seal the game? Bowles. Yeah, Bowles. And uh, what a class kid that is. And his dad, of course, is defensive coordinator at um, Colorado. I will have to do a little shout-out to some – some kids that I know pretty well, Jacob and Joel Kotzer played their last two games. Um, Joel, two championship games, 32 tackles, 19 last year and 13 this year. Quite, yeah. quite a way to, to walk out as an outside linebacker. And his brother Jacob uh, is going to be honored this weekend coming up at the uh, Sugar Bowl, part of the All-State Good Hands team, the sixth player in a row to make it from Morningside. Wow. Talking about culture, Brad. Wow. Hey, everybody. We'll have a lot more to talk about after the break on Two Guys in Conversation. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Two guys in the conversation. This is Steve Ferguson, along with our co-host, Brad Moore. And uh, we're going to talk a little local basketball, high school basketball, uh, here in our next section of our show. Uh, this is Brad and Steve's Room of Knowledge. And Brad, let's uh, first of all, a little shout out to Ella Skinner. Yeah. Uh, one of the all-time greats at Healing Girls Basketball. Just scored her thousandth point. Was named Athlete of the Week. Deserving honor. And really a great article. Um, uh, Ella's really developed her game as a face-up player, can play back to, back to the basket and going to be go to Wayne State. And uh, she's going to do very well in the Northern Sun, Brad. That's a great environment for her. I think she's really talented. It's close by. You know, I, I went to Wayne State. Uh, that's where I met my wife. So I'm partial. I'm from Wayne originally. That is a great school that plays in a very competitive conference. Tough conference, yeah. And she'll do very well there. And I thought it was really neat how she's worked at her game Brad, uh, and and really, she's shooting 40-some percent from three right now. She's the top three-point shooter for Helan and uh, and has really become a dual threat, if you will, and working on ball handling and and uh, just a really fun player. We had Coach Coolstraw on early in the season, and we're now we're at the, kind of the break time uh, at midway season, and we're going to talk about other teams, but I want to bring up a point that he made. He said, we really got to be 35% to be a championship-caliber team uh, from three-point. And uh, so right now they're shooting 30% from three as a team, 68% from a free throw standpoint. So from an opposing coach standpoint, if, if I, I'm looking at that saying the way that I'm going to try to beat a healing team is I'm going to I'm going to try to I'm going to pack it in if I can, yeah. and I'm going to foul. Yeah, I'm going to foul. 
you know, and what do you think about that strategy? And, and I know Cool's aware of it and girls are aware of it. And I think they'll, it'll just be interesting to see how that second half works. Yeah. So Coolstra uh, with his tempo and the way he likes to play is uh, they, they don't like to spend a ton of time on offense right. to give you a chance to pack it in. They want to score in transition. But going back to the three-point shooting percentage in high school sports, a lot of these athletes are coming off uh, volleyball or right. other sports, point, yes. and they haven't spent the time in the gym maybe. And the other thing is is they're just, they haven't been in basketball shape yet because mm-hmm. it's hard to assimilate through running lines, uh, getting into basketball shape. So yes. they'll get their legs under them. Um, now, now they've been in the gym. They'll spend a lot of time during the break shooting, probably more time shooting than running. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would I would anticipate that that uh, percentage go up a little bit. That'll be fun. That, that's a great point. And that'll be fun for us to watch to see if that happens. You know, And, and I don't think it matters. Uh, Helan's got such great athletes. I don't think it matters when they got better athletes. You know what? Because they score off their defense. Yeah. But when you get to that that pinnacle, you reach that team that's got athletes that can match up. Yeah. That's when those little things come into play. And, and you said that earlier in the year that uh, they're going to have to be around thirty-five percent from yep. three if they want to make a state and title th- run. And I think they need to be over seventy. Uh, they're close, but they need to be over seventy from from free throw yeah. as a team. Yeah. If they do that, uh, they're going to be very very difficult. Agreed. To, to yeah. So they're four and two, one four oh, in yeah. a row. Yeah, and well. uh, coming back after the break, they get to play South Sioux City. So that'll be a good contest uh, at home at the new gym right out of the uh, new year. Yeah, what's that? tell me a little bit about what's happening over at East though. And the girls, they got a great program going on and team over there. Yeah, so the East girls are six and one. Their only loss was a, a narrow defeat to SBL. So um, I, I I meant to look at the rankings. I don't think they're ranked. Sioux City East boys, boys are ranked seven and zero, ranked number four. Wow. And so the good things happening over at East. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what that means for healing girls. They got to play East again. They got Sergeant Bluff twice maybe after the break. So there's mm-hmm. three competitive games they're going to have along with the other team. So I, I still think that's a great thing for Healand that they're, they're playing these tough games night in, night out. Getting to play that level of competition is a great experience. And when the other side of the state is usually playing down a class and Healand's always playing up a class, uh, when you get into district and tournament, tournament play, uh, it, it it shows up, and you can tell who's been playing the tougher competition. Well, we talked a little bit about uh, the fact that the boys, um, you know, they're, they're, what, one and four, I think, at the break. Games have been close, and, and that's going to be their recipe, I think, for the second half is how can they keep those games in that 40 and 50-point range and have a chance to win? Yeah, so Helan boys actually uh, moved to two and four. Uh, they had a win over Council Bluffs, Thomas Jefferson, 64-54. Excellent. They got uh, – uh, 22 points from uh, Kevin Candia, uh, 15 points from Cole Hogue, in addition to 10 rebounds, and Jared Sitzman, 14 points. So uh, held the opponents to 54. There they scored 64 despite uh, one of 14 from three-point. Yeah, yeah. Range, well, that's so. that's going to be it. That's good. That's the pounding, figuring out ways to win. That's what it's all about. You know, Brad, you you coached uh, girls at Healan, and and uh, as a when I look at you going to this break, they the coaches always talk about two seasons. The, the, it's like preseason and the regular season. And I, I guess I've always been one to establish who you want to be, what you want to be, and you build on continuity uh, and not change up things so much unless there's a reason to that. What did you, what did you guys do as coaches? How did you take this break and and uh, go forward. Yeah, so you really want to get into the gym and you want to work on fundamentals and shooting, as you mentioned. And then uh, you want to take a look at how 
some of your underclassmen that, uh, you know, are playing for the first time, you know, how, how are they performing? And you might move a kid off the scout team and put them into the rotation mm -hmm. that may give you a little bit of a boost. But we always look forward to the break because you know, kids are exhausted. They're coming off their other yeah. sport, their fall sport, jumping right into basketball. And, uh, you know, so it's a nice time to just catch your breath, uh, get some, some quality gym time. And, and really, this is the time where you're putting in plays, out-of-bounds plays. Mm -hmm. The majority of what you're going to run the rest of the season gets put in over this break. So do you, do you, you're, what you're saying to me, and I think I'm, I, I agree with this, is that it's almost like bowl prep for uh, to get those extra practices or that extra opportunity to reevaluate and, and look, at, look at kids a little more critically that you didn't get a chance to because it's such a small or short preseason. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's – you see that a lot. You don't get your entire team together for very long yeah. prior to the break. Yeah. And I, I think it's uh, it, it's really cool how we've seen that over the years watching uh, the Helan teams in particular, how they've kind of evolved and, and, and always have tried to peak at tournament time. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the secret. Yeah, imagine being the SBL, uh, the Sergeant Bluff girls coach. Oh, my gosh. Having to wait for the volleyball girls to make a deep run in, yeah. into the tournament and then, you know, it's just there's very little time to put your stuff in prior to the break. Well, that's always been kind of the problem Helens had. Football was the same way. You know, we had key players, uh, the Zach McCabe's, you know. And, uh, of course, Zach could go out and pick up a ball in the gym any day of the year, and he's going to be fine. But, uh, you know, have to wait to get all those guys together and, and kind of get it rolling over the years. And, uh, gosh, that's a good problem to have when you when you got uh, those kind of things happening with state championships and state tournament appearances. Um, it'll be a, it'll be a fun second half and we'll see how the, uh, the boys progress and healing girls progress and see what happens with, uh, SBL down there. The, the nemesis right now, both boys and girls are going to be very, very good. And, you know, don't sleep on the, uh, the AL boys team, Brad, they've got some serious talent down there. Yeah. So SBL boys are uh, three and two, but they've lost two in a row. And one of them was two. AL mm -hmm. uh, down in Council Bluffs, and then uh, then they lost to Sioux City East. So uh, two straight losses, but uh, SBL still ranked number nine in 3A. But, yeah, uh, Council Bluffs, Abe Lincoln, One of the good top, program. top coaches in high school basketball in Western Iowa, Jay Isaacson, former Briarcliff player for a year, transferred to Dana, who's, which is in, was in the NAI, mm -hmm. led the NAIA in scoring his senior year, then was the Bellevue assistant coach, and I believe Jay still runs the Summer Metro League, which is a very popular uh, uh, summer basketball league for college players. And uh, he is a terrific talent, great coach. And he's got AL on the rise. And he's got a Division One prospect, I believe that's a sophomore right now. I've read some, I don't know the name, but we're going to you're gonna have to get some information on this kid that's supposed to be pretty special. Yeah, one uh, short note, shout out to Dakota Valley Boys, 4-0. Uh, Paul Bruins uh, scoring about 30 points per game, Jeez. 27 and 44 in his last two wins. Um, so they're cruising. A little history there with, with the Bruins. Yeah. I believe his dad might have played with Jason Kleiss okay. at Morningside. Okay. So there's uh, there's a little genetics there. Yeah, uh, and, and, uh, and common names on the roster, there's Rosenquist. Oh, and yeah. Faldmo and so, yes. you know, the normal cast. The basketball uh, bloodlines are there, so... Yeah. Uh, it's amazing how good a coach Jason Kleiss is as well. I watch. They have no size. I'll tell you what. They play a certain style of basketball. They're confident. They run stuff. And they're really fun to watch if you haven't yeah. seen them. They play with high confidence. 
and they're never out of the game. Absolutely. Well, listen, lots of, lots of fun basketball for us to, uh, to watch as we get into 2020. And uh, there's more for us to talk about on the last segment of our show tonight on Two Guys in the Conversation. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Two Guys in a Conversation. Steve Ferguson, along with our co-host, Brad Moore. And Brad, before we uh, finish up here, we want to wish everybody a happy new year and uh, look forward to uh, 2020, a year of great vision. And uh, uh, looking forward to it. And uh, it will be a fun, fun ride here in the basketball down the stretch. And uh but we want to. We still want to talk a little football yet. I don't know if we're ever going to be able to not talk Big Ten football on our show, Brad. You know, I could talk about it every oh, episode man. for sure. So we might take over five ninety sports on AM and just talk uh, <laughs> Nebraska Iowa football. But uh, they don't want to talk about it anymore. Five ninety, I heard, or six twenty, whatever show, radio the, that is. But anyway, let's talk about recruiting. I, I want to jump in about Iowa recruiting. They signed a nice class. I think twenty or twenty one players so far, and. You know, nothing nothing surprising. Most of them are three stars, if you will. They got a four-star quarterback out of uh, Dallas, mm-hmm. Deuce Hogan. And they are super high on this kid. Yeah. Uh, Georgia tried to flip him. I may have, we may have talked about that before. Georgia was going to land a helicopter right in the middle of the field to try to flip him on signing day, and he told him don't bother. Yeah. So you got to like that from a Hawkeye perspective. Yeah, they there was a ranking. I, I saw an article, top twenty Big Ten recruits, and he was one of them. Oh, that's cool. And then they got Deontay Craig, defensive end out of uh, Indiana, was the Player of the Year in Indiana, and he's a four-star kid. Uh, that was a really good get for him. Uh, a lot of teams were after him, and then just a bunch of just a bunch of typical three-star type guys that they'll work on developing, and uh, they're getting a little bit into Florida. Always works for them. You know, it's always, always worked, and uh, I, I'm very excited about the class from top to bottom. I, I'm not sure where they were in the national rankings. I think a top 30 class. Uh, maybe fifth fifth in Big Ten, Brad? Yeah, so they were 29th in the nation, okay. and they're seventh in the Big Ten. Seventh in the Big Ten. So that's always where they've kind of been, mm-hmm. so uh, that's good stuff. Now, if we talk about the Cornhuskers, they had a pretty good pretty good run. Yeah, so uh, Nebraska is fourth in the Big Ten and 18th in the nation, depending upon what service you look at. They had uh, 10 four-stars, yeah, which is the that. most they've had in a long That's time. Crazy. That's up there on par with Penn State and Michigan, oh, yeah. really. The difference, I, I heard a recruiting analyst, and he was talking about the, the difference, you know, Four stars, three stars. You know that's that's not the separation where the no. se- where the real s- separation is between the very top programs and the Nebraska and Iowa's. It's those blue chipper, the the game changing, program changing, yeah. five star recruits that are surefire NFL stars. Yeah. That's what separates the men from the boys in college recruiting. Well, great point. So who was the who were the top two ESPN recruits in the country? Uh, the year they came out, Lawrence and Fields. Who's quarterback in Clemson? Lawrence. Who's quarterback in Ohio State? Fields. Yeah. They were like one-two on, on, in, the, in the country. Yeah, and, and the rich get richer. So Clemson, yeah. you know, Clemson signs two of the top four players and eight yeah. of the top 20, I believe. So. Darbo, I, I'd love to see Darbo in the, in the home of a recruit. Yeah. I bet he puts on a show. I would like to see all the SEC coaches. I mean, how does – I mean – uh, Nick Saban can't be too dynamic, can he? He just might say, 
we're Alabama. You yeah. coming or not? Yeah. But Darbo, he's got to be, he's got to be trying the cookies, and he's got to be hugging everybody. And I, I'd love to see that. Yeah. So uh, you know, here was one interesting story: is Nebraska four-star uh, defensive back out of Miami. He was set to sign at seven thirty. Big controversy. He was on his phone. He left the gym. Uh, it was an hour before he finally picked Nebraska. But allegedly, Miami called him on his phone and said that the defensive back coach recruiting him from Nebraska was resigning and quitting and not signed with Nebraska. And oh, wow. so he had to get Frost on and his position coach wow. to validate that, that 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 was a rumor there's, and that wasn't true. They say there's a lot of shenanigans that Just go on a, in the recruiting. A ton, but that was on national TV. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing, you know what a lot of recruits, and again, what Brian Ferentz, offensive coordinator, coach or son of uh, Coach uh, uh, Ferentz, says, we recruit our guys. And what the players that like Iowa, you know what they tell them? Listen, this is who we are, and this is what we're all about, and you go out and evaluate everything. They don't put pressure on kids. Like the recruits say, they don't ask you to commit on the spot, which is not the norm. Yeah, but once they recruit, or once they commit, I'm sorry, then they're committed, right? Yeah, and they and they also had the rule, and I don't know if they've changed this. You don't visit anybody else if you commit to us. Yeah. You know, yeah. you commit to us, you don't visit. And they had a bunch of guys from Texas, these big-time recruits a few years ago. And they all, like Eno Benjamin is a running back, and, and he went out and they cut ties with him. Yeah. And they fired the coach, uh, one of the offensive uh, assistant coaches that told the guys it was okay. Ferran says, uh, no, it's not okay. Yeah, so, th- so there's so many things that go, that go into recruiting where you know you you've got you've offered four outside linebackers right and you know one one's a high four star and the other guy is a high three star but the high three stars ready to commit you know there's a lot of times where you'll see somebody decommit or change his mind and a lot of times those those scholarships or those offers are kind of taken back yeah. because you got to know where your class is falling especially at the end you got to know who's in and who's not in well you know I think I look at these uh, these young athletes at high school and that are pretty good players, you know, and I just keep telling them, be patient. You know, if you're a good player, someone's going to find you. If you really want to play at the next level, and I think sometimes these kids get concerned that they don't have a lot of schools really offering them. And early in their, and then by the end of that senior season, they're on the board. They might be number three, and somebody can't, you know, all of a sudden they come up and it's like they get the late phone call. It will happen if you're good enough. So here, here's here's an interesting um, conversation to have is so so the rich get richer. It, it doesn't look under right now that anybody's going to track down Ohio State in the Big Ten. But I, I heard an interesting uh, thing on the radio the other day, and I want to get your opinion on this. Is there was there was a, a, a sports talk show, and and one of the guys on the show was saying that he thought the pay for play, where you you were going to pay players for their likeness, mm-hmm. and, and and be able to write them checks. Yep. He thought that that was going to create more parity in college football, and I thought that was I'd never thought of it that way before. But he, what he was saying is that okay, if you've got five five stars going to Ohio State, how much? Are the local businesses going to support the recruits from Ohio State? Do you want to be the fifth recruit at Ohio State and get that contract? Or do you want to be the number one guy in the state of Iowa and get paid by 
Oh man! And get the best offer from if, Iowa. If I'm I'm the John Deere uh, John Deere out of Waterloo, isn't that where their headquarters are at? Man, I'm getting AJ Epineza, I'm getting Tristan Wirfs, I'm getting all these off these lineman guys, and they're the they're going to be the face of our company. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I that's and, a, and that was his point is that Nebraska and Iowa might land a five star two occasionally where where they aren't now. Um, maybe they pay enough to pull some of those uh, a guy who's the number. 10 guy at Ohio State might come to Iowa and Nebraska. I think that is a fascinating, fascinating thought, Brad. And, you know, you and I have talked about it. There's no pro team in Nebraska. There's no pro, This is our pro team. Yeah. And that's why there's so much interest. Um, sure, we're a small market, three, four million people in Iowa or whatever. And same thing with Nebraska. But it's still, it's, it's so much interest. And I think that's what those players get that feeling is that they're really it's they're really under the uh, the radar and, and, and under the microscope when they play because, hey, this is all we have to talk about yeah. and it's fun. Well, uh, college football is changing. I still don't like paying college players, yeah. um, but it's happening. Got to adapt. It's, it's going to be here. The eighteen playoff, I think, is coming. Yeah. So college football in ten years might not resemble what we had ten years ago. Most likely won't. Uh, nothing really does anymore. And I, if you ask, you know, Coach Ferentz about the portal, the transfer portal, and all that. I mean, they and leaving for NFL, but they but they got to adapt. You know, they got to adapt, and uh, and that's what it all comes down to is uh, if you're ready to uh, uh, to change with it, you're going to be fine. If not, you're probably going to be in trouble. Yeah, big money in college sports, and uh, you know that's going to change the landscape because that money is only going to grow. Well, our uh, producer just sent us a little buzz that said, hey, our show's done for the night, Brad. And <laughs> we're done for 2019. I have enjoyed it. It's it's a blast. It's a, it's a, We have to scramble to put our show together. But, Brad, thanks for your flexibility. Thanks for your insight. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. and look forward to 2020. Fun. So, uh, happy new year to you and the Moors. Yes, and to all our listeners. Yep, and to all of our listeners, we're signing off from Two Guys in a Conversation.